All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Don't stress. Listen to the podcast at WTIC.com or on the free Odyssey app. I have this new thing I do while the, uh, while the show started. I dance like I'm Joe Cocker. You remember Joe Cocker? The way he would dance? And, and how John, John Belushi imitated him like he was having some kind of spaz attack. You ever see that? Oh, he was great. He was great. Anyway, I jump around like that. Gets me going. The, the music that Roland plays, you know. So uh, I, I like this story. Do you see the story? Incarcerated prison workers. The state is considering giving them a raise. And I'm really interested in whether they'll do it. This is prison workers, prisoner workers, incarcerated workers. Since we've been talking to prisoners on the air, I've been shocked at at how they get abused by the prison system on their pay. Incarcerated prison workers who currently make as little as 30 cents per hour would receive a pay raise under a bill debated today during a public hearing of the legislature's committee on labor policies and one other well for one thing i think they should get paid more i want to see them in competition with other commercial enterprises because if they're working they work for right now it's crazy uh, most prison jobs pay between 75 cents and a dollar 75 per day that's according to a 2018 report by the Office of Legislative Research. So uh, maybe it's gone up a penny or two since then. Prison pay rates generally declined between 2001 and 2017, according to the Prison Policy Initiative, which reported that Connecticut prisons largely ranged in pay between $0.30 cents and $1.50 per hour. Now, I don't know how you could make $0.30 cents an hour and and only get 75 cents a day or a buck a day, unless, of course, they're part-time jobs. But the thing is that the reason that I'm assuming, this is my assumption based on how government works, the reason they don't pay prisoners anything respectable, which I think would be helpful for the whole system if they did, the reason they don't, I assume, is because the only way the union would allow them to get paid for work is if they get paid ridiculously small amounts of money. And then nobody's upset about having to share money with prisoners. But wouldn't it be wonderful if you, who pays 60 grand a year for prisoners to be housed, wouldn't it be great if you had uh, some money going coming to you too? What do you think? 860-522-9842. And we've got John calling from Kensington. Hello, John. Hi. Um, if someone's brought this up and you've teased it out, uh, 
that that's okay. But I don't know if, if you've had any calls about last Saturday, all the highways in Connecticut, there was state workers out picking up litter. Cleaning up litter, yeah. Yeah, and and I just got a confirmation from a friend of mine at the OC. It was to deplete the, uh, the overtime because they haven't had snow removal. Wait, was that you who left a rant on this subject yesterday? No, no, but I did hear that rant. I did hear that rant. It wasn't me, and I was just wondering if, but someone should lose their job. Who authorized that? Well, wait a second. That's the whole purpose of government is to have a system you can rig to benefit people who vote for Democrats. That's how it works. You know, I'm 100%. If you're in private business and and you somehow bonus out people with overtime, and if for some reason they weren't doing a lot of overtime and you throw them a bone, and it's your own money, God bless you, that's capitalism. But this is our money. This is the state. They're the steward. I heard the director of the budget on TV the other night saying they were they were going to lower our taxes, but he talked about reinvesting in us. They're not reinvesting in me by overcharging me and then give me some of it back or cutting the taxes. That's not investing in me. Of course it isn't, because the the overall spending in government, the share of the state's economy that goes to government, I've never seen the numbers, but I'll tell you that over the long term, it almost universally goes up. Well, and well the purpose, that's why they're blowing through the budget. To, to get rid of some of that overtime because it builds on next year. They say, well, they, well, yeah, they don't want anyone it. saying they didn't need that much overtime, for sure. They need to get I, that out there I, to pay their voters. But, but someone should lose their job. Who, who authorized that? But if the people don't make the dirty politicians, which is 98% of them, who go along with the status quo, gross things like this, they do nothing, right? Our elected representatives do nothing about us being robbed blind by government so if we do nothing when they do nothing then we're the ones ultimately because we're the bosses so if we don't All care right. why should they care well touche you want to do a hard turn there was a sure. front page article in the hartford current this group in hartford it was kind of a black lives matter group they got a 25 million dollar grant and their goals were to advocate and lobby to lower municipal voting age to 16, to um, put all illegal uh, aliens on the Husky program, and to lobby and campaign to eliminate resource officers in the high schools. Three things that are outrageous, but they were given a $25 million grant to these poverty pimps that are going to talk and they're going to have symposiums and they're going to have dialogue and $25 million that could have helped poor people become unpoor by better well, education. They're going to be yeah, wasted the, the way, by that. You can't put more money into the current education system and make education better. The only way to do that would be to break the current education system. Structural. I'll tell you a way that I would spend that money. How? Take New Britain. You have the, 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 the city of two schools. On the far end of the school, you have New Britain High School, where mm -hmm. most kids are illiterate. The north end of the school, you have the Teachers College, CCSU. Spend that $25 million to bring those kids into the high school to tutor them after class. 
I'm sorry, to bring which kids into the high school? The high school kids? Bring, no, bring the kids that are at CCSU, Central Connecticut oh, State oh. University, that yeah. are planning to be teachers, bust them straight down one straight road mm-hmm. to New Britain High School and have them uh, tutor kids after school. But one-on-one who su- tutoring. Who would supervise the program? You need union you people hire, you got You got $25 million <laughs> that they're going to yes, waste at our But the unions have to get their big chunk of it. So did you, did you ever hear that Dan Malloy cut that I used to play all the time? Mm, I'll take that as a know. no. There's this They're wonderful not. cut of Dan Malloy when he was in a private meeting with the um, editorial board of the um, Hartford Current. And they were pressing him on why aren't you spending money on this and why aren't you doing this? You've just done two of the biggest tax increases in the history of the state. And Malloy said something incredible. I'm trying to pull it up for you right now because what he did was he basically confessed that there is no such thing as there being money to spend on anything to fix things. There is no money to fix things. It doesn't matter that I raised taxes near record amounts twice. And this is what I'm driving at. Let me see if I can just find this. I don't know why it's there, not There's not money to fix things because liberals don't build or fix. They, they just talk about things. They have symposiums and group discussions, but they, they never get around to building anything. Well, government doesn't actually do anything. You're right. It's broken. But sometimes and... government will, if it's, if, but liberals don't. Liberals don't mm. want to spend money on infrastructure. No, liberals, liberals love they, spending they... money on infrastructure because it goes to unions. That's the, 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 didn't Joe Biden just do a big infrastructure package? That's a re-election tool. So, but the, most, the, the thing is, they don't actually they spend the money maybe on infrastructure. It doesn't mean they build any. So that might be where no. we're. Uh, yeah, yeah, they they don't build anything, but it, they spend money on poverty pimps talking about helping people. But they never really get around to help. They do surveys and studies. They travel around the country having group discussions. Nothing ever. No one ever really gets helped, and it's a okay. sin because. You know, there's enough money to help poor people in this country be on poor, and we waste it on poverty pimps. That is true. Not just on poverty pimps, but but also on uh, the whole structure of the way government works, which, because that money is being used, as you've pointed out, John, it's being used to rig elections, not to actually affect changes in people's lives. 860-522-9842. Everett's calling from East Hartford. Hey, Everett. Hello, how are you? What's up? Yeah, um, I was calling about the uh, the prisoners and the way they get paid. Yes. And um, my brother had been incarcerated, and after he was released, he had inherited some money. The first thing that happened was the state of Connecticut came after him for the money mm-hmm. for the time that he was in prison. He had to pay that money back. Yeah, how much was it, do you recall? Oh, it was 20, oh, no, like $40,000. Mm-hmm. So you get out of amazing, prison and it? give you a bill for forty grand, so you can't start your life over. Yeah. Counterproductive, uh, I, I would, I would what say. What I would suggest is that these inmates can only collect 30 cents an hour while they're in prison, but they should be getting paid minimum wage, and the rest of that money should be going towards their deficit that they're collecting while they're sitting in jail. So when they get out, at least they had an opportunity to knock some of that cost down. That's a good point, Everett. Like, what would the left say 
if we suggested that minimum wage be 30 cents a day or 75 cents a day or about 50, 75 a day, whatever the number is for, of, of what prison pay hovers around, can yeah, you imagine yeah, the noise they would make in response? And then all those things they would say would be an accusation against them for having done this. But, yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, I mean, these people are paying their dues. And then when they get out, the first thing you want to do is handicap them so they can't succeed. And exactly. then you wonder why they compete offense. Exactly. And, and the whole system is built that way. Thank you, Everett. We're going to take a quick break. I'll play that Dan Malloy cut when we return on WTIC. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. 860-522-9842. In a couple hours, less than a couple of hours, we'll be playing the rants. Call one in, please, 860-751-4698. And we'll take some phone calls in just a sec. I want to play this Dan Malloy cut. Context. Malloy is explaining why nothing happened that was visible as a result of his too big tax increase. He wasn't giving you the political reason, but he was telling you the gist of it. Here it is. Wait a sec, i got to push a button. Here we go. If you look at what we are spending, every cent of additional revenue that has come in since 2011. That is the two huge tax increases Malloy had starting in 2011. Goes to pay pensions. Every cent of it goes to pay pensions. Got it? He's confessing this. If you look at what we are spending... Every cent of additional revenue that has come in since 2011 goes to pay pensions. Teachers and state workers. Teachers and state workers paying pensions. That's what every cent goes to except for. And other post-employment benefits. Except for other post-employment benefits. How much, Dan Malloy? Every single cent and more. Ah, every single cent and more of the huge tax increases. And you, this is why... Every governor comes into office and right off the bat, like Jolly Ned spent his first year trying to put a billion dollar tax increase called tolls into effect so that he would have enough money. It's, it's each governor's responsibility. It's, it's kind of um, your entry fee. I'm, I'm forgetting what the right word is, but somebody tell me what, you know, if you've got to put up a certain amount of it's like the password to get into the party. If you're elected governor, you have to do your share to cover the disastrous debt with new taxes. They're not working for you. They're working for the elected class. And the elected class can't survive if they don't get enough money to make sure that they can sustain all the horrible commitments they've made on your behalf in the past. 860 Fred's in Middletown. Hi, Fred. Hey, hey, uh, just real quick between the uh, prisoners being charged for their incarceration. I've heard of that. Well, that is just disgusting. And then the state Wait, crews well, explain out, why it's disgusting, because I think some people would disagree. Uh, I mean, I don't even have that on the tip of my I mean, bad enough. You're getting, you know, locked up. You know, the government's yep. busted a move on you. Yeah, I mean, you, you just, lose your liberty. Plus, you have to pay for the uh, loss of your liberty. 
Right. And I mean, presumably you already paid for that as a taxpayer, you know, or I mean, yeah, no, charging the person. No, please. And then, you know, is there any thought of like after they get out, you know, then no, they just... there is no concern except a hope that, of course, that they return to the system quickly right. so that the yeah, system just... can continue to grow like all government departments. Right. So between that and then state workers picking up trash, lest the snow over time go unspent. Mm-hmm. Uh, just between those two things, I would uh, the image of um, what's going on with all these thieves <laughs> or, or people who are just still just getting what they can. It's uh, pirates on the deck of a sinking ship loading their pockets with gold. You know, what are these people thinking? Right. It's warming it your heart, like, Fred. I can tell. What's that? It's warming your heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, just closing with this. Uh, what's, you know, orange and sleeps for a state truck? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. Good to talk with you. 860-522-WTIC. Jim's in Willington. Hello, James. Hey, how you doing? Hey, let's not forget something. When the state of Connecticut put that income tax in so many years ago. 30 years uh, maybe ago. Maybe a year or two. Yeah, maybe a year or two later. They started going down the path where every single thing that had to do with state workers in, ter- in, in terms of pay, in terms of overtime regulations, in terms of parity in the private sector for a worker that was hired, it all started going haywire mm-hmm. to the point where uh, you had legislatures, even today, uh, in unions negotiating these deals while there were state, reg- you know, state uh, legislatures. Mm-hmm. To the point where, geez, it used to be you had a state job, you had an excellent pension after 20 years, you were paid about 50, I'm not sure what the percentage was, but you were paid less than in the private sector. And what happened over the past 20 some odd years is no, you're paid on parity. And no matter what happens in the private sector, if a company is really battling, what do they have to do? They have to cut back. They have to give people more responsibility for the same money or less money. Whereas the state of Connecticut, all they have to do is tax the, uh, the citizens, just tax them at will. So they back. can keep the pensions going, even though in the in the yes. private sector there are no more pensions. Yes, and the last thing uh, concerning Malloy's uh, the twenty six point five percent, whatever. I I won't go over that again. But I, what I will say is, if you take a look at the you take a look at that by percent by the number of years after they started changing the rules and regulations and negotiations for pensions for state workers and for teachers, you're going to find a direct correlation between why this state that used to be fiscally sound. It's mm-hmm. in the spot that it's in right now because nobody ever cuts back on any of those of these expenses, as we all know. Where everybody else, everybody else in the uh, in uh, the free market outside of state regulation must. They have to, as, as we're looking at right now. By the way, I'm sorry. What was the last thing you said? Well, no, as we're seeing right now. And if you don't oh, yes. mind, the next yeah. time you the next time you have, um, I'm sorry, his name his name. Uh, he just got out of prison. I forgot what his name was. Yeah, I, I'd, li- I'd like you to ask him, or maybe he can verify. I believe that there was about 14,000 prison guards at one time, and there was a population of, of around 14 to 15,000. And the way you understand it now, there's about 53 or 5,400 prison guards, and I believe the prison population is around that as well. And I don't know for sure, but I sure like. I'm sorry. What happened to the guards number? Did it go down? Stay the same? What? No, I, I I think that there's I think they're almost the numbers almost match. And I, I would like they match to now. But where were they before? Have the, have the uh, number of prison guards gone down or up or what are you saying? Well, well, that's what I need to know. I know the number of prisoners has gone down. 
but I'm not sure if the number of prison guards okay. went down. We'll check on that. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. 860-522-9842. One more time. If you look at what we are spending, every cent of additional revenue that has come in since 2011 goes to pay pensions. That's it. Doesn't matter what they're running around saying they're going to do for you. They're not. And they know it. Let's take a quick break for news. Then we'll talk some more on WTIC. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medela. If you've persevered through, you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Oh, come on, why wait? You can rant right now at 860-751-4698 on the Todd Feinberg Show. Hey there, WTIC. In just a minute, we'll be talking with County Flaherty. Let's get George in from Vernon first, though. Hi, George. Yes, uh, talking about the uh, inmates. I'm not sure if they're making 75 cents an hour or a dollar an hour. If it's eight hours a day or 24 hours a day, uh, and you had mentioned it cost 60000 to uh, have these people in jail. Mm-hmm. I have an idea. Give me the, pay me a Give dollar what? an hour. Pay me a dollar an hour and pay my mortgage and pay my food because they have no mortgage. They have no health uh, care yet to pay for, and other expenses. So pay me a dollar an hour, and give me the sixty grand, and I will be fine. Well, you wouldn't really. You think you would be, but I think you wouldn't be. And here's why: because the, there's no reason that we should have to pay for people to be imprisoned for long periods of time at sixty grand a year when we could be doing things to cut down on the rates of recidivism. And that would mean that, on average, the amount of money being spent by the state on keeping people in prison could be lowered because you could have programs from day one designed to make sure that people were being released from prison at whatever point the portion of their sentence that was supposed to be payback for you know, punishment for having done something wrong. Once that's over, you want those people ready to hit the street running, producing wonderful stuff for the society, not causing, not costing sixty grand a year in in perpetuity or as as close to that as possible. And the prison system does really nothing to try to um, make sure that people aren't going to recidivate. That's the fancy word they use in the business for uh, commit crimes again. 
But most people get involved with legal trouble again because they haven't been taught how to live a responsible life and given the tools that they need. Thank you, George. Joining us right now is Kathy Flaherty. She from uh, CLRP, the Connecticut Legal Rights Project. Kathy, welcome back. Hi, Todd. Thanks for having me again. I like talking to Kathy every week about her work in the mental health system because it's another angle through which we get to look at the big, wasteful, harmful state government. And Kathy, although she's part of that and doesn't like me saying things like that, she her her work is to help people not get crushed by the, the state system, even though I won't ask you to confirm that, Kathy, in any way. But I, I just like people to know what you're what you're up to. So I think in you know, we're kindred spirits in some way. I think in terms of not wanting systems to crush people, we are on exactly the same page. <laughs> Thank you for, for defining give that, you that so clearly. Yeah. I'll give you that. Well, that's a big thing, I think. And, and because, I, as I've said, it's, I think it's hard when you are working inside the system and you see good you can do because you see the system crushing people. And if you can make it crush less, then... Um, then that's rewarding work, and it's it's uh, work that you can you can measure in terms of lives that have been helped. So what what is going on right now? Last week we had a good conversation about legislation that was being considered, and your testimony. I think that was last week, wasn't it? It seems like a year. I ago. I think it was, but it feels like it was a year ago because um, so much has so happened. <laughs> have you been doing more of this over the last week? I know this is a very that's basically period. what I do. That's basically well, what I do during when the legislature is in session. You mean, or Correct. even when it's not? Um, less when it's not, but it's during the legislative session. It's yes, reading, and, and this is why I encourage people. And I think I even heard Senator Sampson tell people yesterday. You know, mm-hmm. go on the Connecticut General Assembly website, see what the committees are doing, see what their agendas are, read the bills. And if you have something to say about them, sign up to testify at a hearing. Or if you can't um, wait around to testify all day, you know, send in something in writing. And lots of people do that on lots of different bills. Are you at the Capitol now? I am not at the Capitol. I was at the Capitol earlier today, but I came to my office this afternoon. Well, you've still got the state Capitol echo in your voice. So no, I, uh, I am literally sitting in a room that is completely empty because I, I can't, they're doing some computer work at our office, and I've got people uh-huh. in my office, so I have nothing on the walls to absorb <laughs> sound. And I do That's feel funny. like I'm in an echo chamber right now. It's, it's funny. It does have that marble floor kind of vibe going on. We don't have a marble floor here, trust me. So <laughs> t- tell, us, tell us then about what you've encountered. Is there anything of note that you want to share with us? Well, I mean, I do think, you know, one of the bills that I testified on at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, was that uh, proposal for capping the rent and rent stabilization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was back today testifying about some bills in Housing Committee and a bill in the Public Safety and Security Committee. And so you're supporting the um, the capping of rents? Connecticut Legal Rights Project is one of the members of the coalition for capping the rent. And what is the argument for why this helps over the long term? Because to me, it, from the evidence I've seen through the years in these kinds of projects, that they do damage to the the supply of of rental units that which i think is what you're focused on you know you you're discouraging the investment in properties either for renovations or for building new ones and 
have you seen examples of that not occurring? Yes, and I what I would encourage people to do is if you look at the testimony of, and this is where I'm going to give a shout out to one of my colleagues, um, attorney Sarah White at the Connecticut Fair Housing Center. She actually had some really detailed testimony, including proposed bill language that our coalition thinks that the, the bill uh, should be changed to. It's what they call it up at the legislature substitute language uh, because there are some issues that we have with the proposal as it's currently out there. But, you know, really what it's about is giving people who are renters the same opportunities to set down roots as people who are homeowners. And I think one thing that some people may not understand about the proposal is it is not the state saying this is the rent you shall charge. You know, you can only charge $1,000 for a two-bedroom unit, like say that, and maybe you could charge 1500 for a three-bedroom. That's actually not what this proposal says. What it says is, you know, when, you, when that person moves in and signs that lease, which means you have had that private conversation between that landlord and the tenant, you know, agreeing on what a rental amount is, that there will be some limitations put on the ability of the landlord to raise the rent when it comes to the renewal period, and that you give the tenant significant advance notice if you're intending to raise the rent. Um, and we also want to have protection against what's called a no-cause eviction for, ten for more tenants because, um, you know, that's one of the things that we've seen is that the filing numbers have actually gone up significantly. There were, there were those protections at the beginning of the pandemic where they said, we're not going to allow you to evict people, and they set up a, a, a rental assistance program to help people with um, that back rent where really all that money went to landlords. And yes, there were issues with delays in setting it up and, and the speed at which the money was transmitted, but that money ultimately went to landlords. <coughs> and it's so just basically... I'm sorry, finish up. No, it's okay. Um, it's just basically giving people the opportunity, people who are members of our communities, to have some stability because evictions are profoundly destabling, not only for individuals, but also for families and also for entire communities. So when you say our communities, are you talking about the communities in the state or are you talking about the communities represented by agencies like yours? No, I mean every one of the 169 cities and towns. Um, you know, shouting out another one of my colleagues, uh, Rafi Podolsky, who's an attorney at, at Connecticut Legal Services, there was a bill that the Housing Committee was considering today that would remo remove municipalities from storing tenants' uh, belongings after an eviction. And Rafi said something that I thought was pretty powerful, is that every tenant who's getting evicted is actually already a member of the town in which they currently live. And part of the reason we have towns involved in the eviction process is to protect people from just not only losing the roof over their head at the end of the eviction, which is what's happening, but also so that they don't lose all of their things. Um, and I don't think people who haven't been through an eviction themselves actually knows what that's like. I mean, landlords have a certain perspective on the process, which is different, but I actually thought the best testimony today was from one of the state marshals who has done lots of evictions, and he said if the, if the bill that the committee had put forward 
uh, for a, and raised for a hearing today, he said, I would not want to do my job if you changed my job to what this particular bill would recommend, would result in. I'm so, sorry, his, his job is what again? He's a, he's a state marshal. So his and job is to go service people. For he, serve people, but at the end of the, a lot of people don't realize, at the end of an eviction, the marshal's also the person who's removing you physically from the unit at uh-huh. the very end of the process. And most people don't know that. They think they're only dropping off the papers. So he was speaking against the legislation, and you, you yeah. were also working with others to get the legislation the, rewritten. This particular, this was a different bill today. This wasn't the cap the rent thing. This was a completely different bill, and that's what's so hard about keeping track of things during the legislative session. This was a proposal that would do something um, where it's been the process for 30-plus years, um, and the municipalities raise objections to it, but there is a reason that the process was put in place. And I think once more people kind of heard why things are the way they currently are, there's a better understanding of why we do things this way. Um, and, and that can be frustrating for people. I think just as an ordinary taxpaying citizen of the state, you know, I sit home sometimes saying, what is everybody thinking? Um, and then, you know, sometimes when I read the bills, I'm like, okay, that actually makes sense. And other times I'm like, not so much. And I will tell them what I think. And sometimes they listen to me and sometimes they don't. And you keep going. We're talking to Kathy Flaherty from Connecticut Legal Rights Project. She argues on behalf. She's a lawyer, and they, they, they are lawyers who uh, defend people who or, or work with people who are trying to navigate the state mental health system. We're going to take a quick break, and then I've got a couple of things I want to ask Kathy. Then we'll take phone calls coming up on WTIC. Now back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Kathy Flaherty here from the Connecticut Legal Rights Project, CLRP.org. So my feeling on these things, Kathy, and I want to get your reaction to this, is that uh, what what government tends to do, in my opinion, is it makes a mess of its most important services, like education. And that leaves huge swaths of the population unable to advance in the labor market. And... That creates a big underclass of people who need services. And then the organizations they've developed, the government charities they've developed to help people who can't get ahead in life become this permanent state that keeps grinding gears of non-performance, making incremental improvements, perhaps, in the services it provides, but never going back and attacking the original thing. Like the real problem we have in terms of large numbers of people who can't support themselves, it, it would seem to me has to be that they get the worst educations that public education has to offer. And that becomes a permanent problem, along with the violent communities they grow up in and the other problems that are permanent there. But there's never pressure on government to improve what they do. And in, in terms of what government wants to do, which is to keep getting bigger, their mission is enhanced by failure. I want to get your reaction to that. Okay. I, I was wondering when you were going to let me jump in on that. Um, he, this, I have to say, is my personal opinion because CLRP does not represent children. 
so, and I think a lot of what you're talking about is the the public education K to 12. But this just comes from me being a lifelong Connecticut resident. Um, you know, I live in in the suburbs. Uh, my parents pulled my brother and I out of public schools and put us in private school. Um, and my husband and I don't have children, so I have been, you know, my family has been paying taxes two generations. Uh, to the same town when we haven't used the public education system in the town. But what that shows, though, is that the way, and this is why you have to look at systemic structural problems. The way we fund education in Connecticut is problematic because we fund so much of it through the property tax, and there's such a disparate um, impact of those taxes 169 different ways of doing it and you know some cities that have a lot of nonprofits in there within their city as opposed to some of the the smaller towns or the suburbs who don't have nonprofit hospitals or other kind of public services um, where those don't get taxed and we don't do the payment and we taxes properly there's so many things structurally that I think we need to change but I think the status quo in Connecticut is always hard to move away from because we are the land of steady habits and change um, is very difficult it's difficult everywhere I think it's particularly difficult at times here I don't, I don't buy that phrase as a an excuse. Nobody it, no, likes changing things, and when huge right. money flows through existing broken <laughs> mechanisms, then those mechanisms keep getting funded, and nothing ever changes. So you, and, it's not just that I, people don't want to change, but they're highly incentivized not to. And I, I agree with you. I think there's on some of that because I do think that there are times where we don't take the hard looks that we need to take at certain systems to find oh, out, sorry. are we've they got, functioning? We've got to run. I just glanced oh, okay. at the clock, and we're out of time. Kathy oh. Flaherty, org. Thank you so much. We'll see you again next week. Take care. All righty. 860-522-9842. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But it's a delightful time of the day. We're getting towards Friday, but not there yet. But we've got somebody who's always in the Friday mood, Mark That's Christopher right. in the BPS Lawyers Traffic Center. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.